0: Didn't have my glasses with me, and uh, and the waitress comes and she says, uh, "That gentleman over there offers you this and hands me because he saw me with the menu, doing that." And so, um, that's that's. I'm going downhill fast, but uh, the ride is is fun. I know that Genesis is not a typical book to turn to for a Christmas message. Uh, But that is exactly what we are going to do today. Uh, The nation of Israel is still in its infancy. Abraham is the father of the nation, but the nation isn't much yet. God promises Abraham will be the father of many nations, and that through his descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham is old, and his wife is too. Sarah is well past the age of giving birth but God assures Abraham that everything God has promised is true. Even though Abraham and Sarah uh, made some bad choices while trying to force God's promises into existence, God keeps his word, and Sarah has a child of her own, which they name Isaac. All the promises that God made to Abraham get passed down to Isaac. He is the one in whom all the nations of the earth Will be blessed. Isaac has two children, Esau and Jacob, and they are twins. Esau, who is older, sells Jacob the birthright of the firstborn for vegetable stew. Now, maybe for gumbo, but I ain't doing that for vegetable stew. Jacob also tricks his father into receiving the blessing that his father, Isaac, had intended to pass to Esau. The promised covenant that God made with Abraham has now been passed down to Jacob. Part of the promise God made was to become a great nation, but at this point, the only land the nation owned was a field with a cave Abraham had bought to bury his wife in. And they think maybe that was the cave uh, that uh, that Abraham had bought to to bury Sarah in. Uh, It's significant because you get buried at home. And so when Sarah died... Uh, Abraham didn't travel back to where the rest of his family was um, to say that you know this is where this is where our family is buried. Uh, he didn't travel all the way back to Ur where he started his journey at. He he buys uh, a cave in a field to bury Sarah and for himself with the idea of this is home. This is home. Uh, you know, he he. Abraham was a bit of a nomad, right? He ain't got no roots. And he said, here's our roots. So it's significant that he bought this field. Uh, But it is hard to grow a nation in one field. God renames Jacob Israel. So perhaps you've heard of the phrase, the children of Israel. Uh, It is literal. It comes from from Jacob or Israel's uh, children. Uh, And... um, and once again, this is important to note because I some, sometimes people have questions about this. When you go through narrative literature, it tells you what did happen. It doesn't always tell you what should have happened. All right? So it is descriptive, not prescriptive. And if you look at how Jacob got his, his children, that is not the way God designed it. All right? that, that, it was simply telling you what did happen, not telling you what should have happened. Um, you, have, you have one family from, from four different women, and um, it's going to be difficult, and, uh, and Genesis proves that to be true. Uh, so Jacob or Israel had lots of sons from four different women, and it went about as well as you would think it would. Uh, the entire family ends up in Egypt, and the nation starts to grow. The land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants was not in Egypt, the land was where the Canaanites lived. Uh, the cave that Abraham bought was the nation's homeland, and the plan was to go back to the land that, uh, uh, that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you can see uh, about where, uh, where they were in Egypt and, and where they needed to head back to at some point. Uh, and that did happen about 400 years later, uh, and they, they left 12 kids, their, their wives and, and children, and they came back about a million strong. Uh, and so uh, Egypt is a good place to, to grow a nation. Uh, so that's, that's what they did. But at the end of his life, the patriarch Jacob is giving his final words to his children, which comprise the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob goes through each descendant, prophesying their future and extending different blessings and some curses. This Christmas morning, we are looking at the prophetic blessing that Jacob, or Israel, gives to his son and his son's descendants, the tribe of Judah. That's what we'll be doing, and that's a Christmas message uh, this morning. Jacob said to Judah, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. So we see three promises to, to Judah in this verse. The first one being, your brothers shall praise you. This promise was given to Jacob by his father Isaac as well. So <clears throat> in fact, the, the name uh, Judah means praise. When his mom discovered that she was expecting and, and she was, they were in a bit of an arms race to see who could produce the most kids and be the favored wife... That's why it doesn't work. Uh, and she, she became pregnant, and she said, praise the Lord. And the word for praise is the same word as Judah. Uh, and so when, 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 uh, when Israel or Jacob says to, to Judah, your brothers will praise you, he's saying, praise? You're going to be praised by your brothers. Uh, in response to having a child, his mother said she would praise God, and she memorialized it by naming her child Praise or in the Hebrew, Judah. Uh, my name is not Praise. My, my full name is, is Christian. Uh, and the reason <clears throat> I have that name is because uh, my parents, before I, before I came along, they, they rededicated their, their life to Christ. They were, they were saved, but they weren't committed in being disciples of Christ. And they, they had the desire to be disciples. And soon after, I came along, and, and my mom said, we're going to raise this one to be a Christian. And so that's and so you might have names that memorialize as well. Uh, but Judah was a cause for praise. Now he will be praised by his siblings. This praise is generational, not just that moment to Judah personally. Um, here's the the says may in Genesis 27 29 it says May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you May you be the master over your brothers, and may your, bro- your mother 's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. So this, this phrase that, uh, that Jacob gives to Judah is reminiscent of the one he received from his father Isaac uh, when, uh, when they were pronouncing, uh, when Isaac was pronouncing the blessing, thought he was giving it to Esau, but he gave it to, to Jacob instead. This is what he, that's what he said to him. And now this promise is given by Jacob to be fulfilled in Judah. It says that your hand shall be on your enemy's neck. Judah and his descendants will be fierce warriors. They will conquer. You won't want to be on the wrong side of the tribe of Judah, and that includes the other tribes of Israel. But you do want to be on his right side. This promise would be fulfilled by Judah, but also his descendants. And then the last one, the third one, is your father's sons. I've been skipping ahead here. Your father's sons shall bow before you. Uh, In Hebrew poetry, you don't rhyme sounds. You rhyme ideas. Uh, And so when you look into the Psalms and, and you're going through and it says, boy, this this sure seems like it's the same thing. Yeah, that was the intention. That's, that's how you rhyme in Hebrew poetry. Not by the sound of, of the word, but by, by rhyming the same idea. So it starts out with, say, your brothers will praise you, and then all your relatives will bow before you. That's just simply how they, how they rhyme. So it's, it's a third promise, but it's really just the first promise rhymed. Um, but that's, that's the first part of, of what, Judah said to, uh, to, um, what Jacob said to Judah. He then uses a metaphor of Judah. He says, Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Now, I, I know we're schools in a break right now, but Judah is a lion, this isn't a simile, what is it? Oh, some of you I got- I saw panic. I saw panic from decades experience go, you know, oh no, what happened? So it's a metaphor. Judah is a lion. Judah is a lion. Uh, and then it says, when you think of a young lion, what do you, what do you think of? Um, they're playful, aren't they? Um, but they also. Um, when they're young they're active aren't they they are active uh, and, uh, and Judah is, is active and it says um, uh, he has finished eating its prey that, that's, you know, that's getting in there and then he says Judah crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares rouse him it looks peaceful right I ain't waking it up. I'm going to let it be there. It's, it's fine right there. In fact, I don't know about you, every time I go to the zoo, that's pretty much what they look like. Um, they just, they just lay, lay down quite a bit. And uh, I'd like to see them move, but only because there's a barrier. Otherwise, asleep is fine. You know the only one in the jungle who, who sleeps well at night is the king of the jungle? All the other animals, they have to be careful, but the lion does not. Uh, and that's going to be Judah. Uh, and then it talks about the descendants of Judah. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. We finally get to a verse that seems like a Christmas verse, right? And here, and here we are. Uh, the word scepter is often translated star as well. Uh, I always try to be careful if I, if I have an idea that I haven't seen any other person have. Um, but uh, it made me wonder, so this is, I'm not saying it is this, I'm just wondering about this. Uh, is this why... The magi came when they saw the star in the sky. And here we, we get um, information about the one with the scepter. Perhaps you remember the prophet Balaam. Balaam was commissioned by the uh, rulers in Canaan to come out and, and extend a curse upon, upon Israel as they are entering the land. Uh, so Balaam was a prophet for hire. Uh, but Balaam also, um, he wanted to make sure he, he had it right. He didn't want to make something up. Uh, so Balaam was not a, a good guy. He kept giving the message that the Lord wanted him to give, but he wasn't happy about it. Uh, but what he did do is he said, look, if you want to separate the nation of Israel from their Lord, uh, here's what you need to do. Uh, get get your, your good-looking young ladies, get them down there, and, and draw them away, and have them start start worshiping other gods rather than the one true God. And then, if you want them to be cursed, that's how you have to do it. Uh, but in his prophecies, he kept giving the Lord's message to, uh, to, the, to the different kings that were, that were hiring him to give curses instead. Uh, so he, he, this was the last prophecy that he gave them before they simply had enough. And he said in Numbers 24:17, he said, I see him. But not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking their skulls of the people of Sheth. So we see a symbolism of a scepter as royalty. Uh, And King David was from the tribe of Judah. The kingly line came from David. God promised David that the Messiah would come through his line and that his reign will last forever. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter 17, message is given to David, For when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for, for me, David wanted to do that, but God said, no, you're, you're a king of war. I don't want a king of war to build me a, a house. Um, so Solomon is the one who, who actually built it for him. Um, but it says, I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time, and his throne will be secure forever. That wasn't Solomon. That wasn't Solomon. That is one to follow Solomon. So who is this one? Back up in Genesis 49.10, it says, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. So your family will, will reign. The, your, your, your descendants will, will rule. Um, but when the one shows up who it really belongs to, all right, uh, that's the one... Um, the one the nations will honor. When that one shows up, the one it really belongs to. I wonder how many of the descendants of David and Solomon thought maybe they would be the one. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed. Where's the king in Jerusalem right now? Not in Jerusalem, right? And so still waiting for that one to show up and establish his kingdom. But who is this one? To whom does the scepter belong forever? To answer this, we must now jump from the past to the future. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John saw a God-appointed vision, and in this vision, John saw from the vantage point of heaven. He saw a massive scroll that everyone's attention was on. The scroll was sealed with seven seals. A question was asked, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? No one was found anywhere that was worthy. John, desperate to see what was in this scroll, and you know it has to be good if there's seven seals on it, right? I mean, you know that has to be good. John began to weep at not knowing what was written in the scrolls because everybody's attention was on this. And then John got this instruction, and he got it from one of the 24 elders uh, sitting around the, the throne. Is, but John wrote, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, what was the message that Judah received from, from Jacob? He said Judah is what? The metaphor? Judah is a A lion. And now we get to Revelation. And who's worthy to open the scroll? The Lion of Judah. They would have descendants that would reign until when? Until the one whom the scepter truly belongs comes. It's pointing out this one. This one who is worthy to open the scroll to break the seals. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the one to whom the scepter belongs. Everybody else was just kind of guarding it for a while. You got to be in charge of a little bit for a little while. But when the Lion of Judah comes, he is worthy. The one who is identified as worthy is called the Lion of Judah. He is the descendant of David's throne who will rule and reign forever. He is the one who is worthy. John then recognizes the one who is worthy. Uh, I know that guy, All right, John looks at, oh, I know who that is. The, the one who is worthy, the one who, who walked up to, to break the seals and open the scroll. I know who that is. I lived with that guy for three years. I know who it is. John wrote, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings, and among the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out in every part of the earth. John said, the lion, he is the lamb. The lion is the lamb. Way back in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah referred to the one who would die to pay the sins of the world, and he described him as a, lamb. In Isaiah 53, it says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. So the prophet Isaiah, way back before Christ was born, way back before Jesus was born, said, the one who is coming to, to die for the sins of the world, who will pay the penalty for sins, he, he is like a lamb described him that way and then back at the beginning of jesus earthly ministry he was born and he he came of age where he he started his ministry started to make himself known to present himself as the christ when early on when john the baptist sees him approaching he says behold and he says this with with uh with the, some of the future apostles around him not all of them but but a few of them around him and he points at jesus and he says behold The lamb, the one Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, this will be the one who will die for the sins of the people. There he is. And what did those future apostles do? They said, it's been nice, John, but if you're telling me that's the guy, we're going to go hang with him now, which is exactly what John wanted. John said, I must decrease so he can increase. But John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lion of Judah, the descendant of David, the Lamb of God is Jesus Christ. Just to be crystal clear, why is Jesus the Lamb, the Lion, why is he worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? What makes him worthy? Worthy. In Revelation, John goes to describe what happens, verses 9 through 10, Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10. It says, and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. What made it possible for God to become the only sacrifice that would pay for all of mankind's sin? You see, the blood of bulls and goats That didn't satisfy God's righteous demand uh, concerning sin. That just simply postponed it. You can't take a bull or a lamb, sacrifice it, and say, there, my sins are now forgiven. That's just a bull. That's just a lamb. The only thing that can pay the, 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 the cost of mankind's sin is man. That's it. Man has to die for man. And the problem with that is, even if I were willing to do that, I have this little issue called sin. So how can you get man to die for man, but man has to be perfect, holy, sinless, in order to be an acceptable sacrifice? Well, the answer is, God has to become man. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why. Because that was an important step in the process for our salvation. A lot of people are celebrating Christmas today, correct? And you know, when they think about the the spiritual element of it, a lot of people really like baby Jesus. They really like baby Jesus. They don't like thinking about Jesus grown up. But baby Jesus... I mean, who has a baby ever harmed? Uh, babies are, are so innocent and cute. At least that's, that's what my wife has told me. Right? Who, who, has a problem with, who has issues with a baby? And they love to celebrate baby Jesus. Baby Jesus didn't die for my sins. Baby Jesus grew up and became and was perfect and became that perfect sacrifice. That's why we celebrate Christmas, is because God becoming man is an incredibly important step for our eternal life. If God didn't die for us, then we're not saved. There's no future in heaven. With God. There's no fellowship with God. God had to be the one to die for us. It had to be. And he said, I will become man. Jesus Christ is not 50% man, 50% God. He's not Hercules. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He is the God-man. Aren't you glad God had a plan for our salvation? Aren't you glad that God, in his infinite wisdom, said, I'm going to create them and they're going to disobey and I'll be the one to save them. Now, it's pretty humiliating being a baby. They're helpless, aren't they? They are helpless. I mean, really, up up until the point where they're four years old, they're constantly trying to kill themselves. And you have to stop them all the time. Here you have the God man getting his, his diapers changed. Getting, getting fed. That can be humiliating. What that means is that if God is willing to humble himself that much, where do you and I say, hey, I'm willing to humble myself, but there's a limit here. If the creator of the universe came in the most humble way imaginable, then that compels us, doesn't it, to be humble in our mind as well. In a more traditional Christmas verse, we give how Jesus the Messiah was born in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lion of Judah, the descendant of David, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, was born in a manger around 2,000 years ago. We celebrate an important milestone in God's redemptive plan. As I said, many people like baby Jesus, and they will give him lip service and express good thoughts. After all, who doesn't like a newborn baby? We celebrate the birth of Jesus because he is completely God and completely man. Only a sinless sacrifice counts for our salvation. God is the only sinless one. Only a human could be a sacrifice for humans. The blood of bulls and goats didn't satisfy God's demand for righteousness. So God became man to be the perfect, acceptable sacrifice. And he came as a humble baby. But he did not stay a baby. And he is not a baby now. He is the one who will come again. He will defeat his enemies. He will rule and reign perfectly for all eternity. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. We sang Joy to the World, or did the choir sing Joy to the World? Did the choir do that? Joy to the World was not originally written to be a Christmas song. Did you know that? It was written about the second coming of Christ. And I think it's very appropriate to sing it around Christmas time to remind us that, yes, God came once as the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And He is worthy to open the scrolls because He was the Lamb. He is coming again, but He is coming again as a fierce lion. Died for our sins, will rule and reign forever. Let's celebrate Christmas. With the anticipation of his coming again heavenly father the scepter belongs to your son the son of God to Jesus Christ he is the one that will rule and reign forever father we thank you that he is worthy to open the scroll to break the seals because he died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could stand you forgiven owing nothing, because Jesus paid it all. Father, we do celebrate the birth, uh, that, that time when, when God never stopped being God, but also became fully man. Uh, we think of that miracle uh, and your redemptive plan for us, and so we do celebrate. But we also celebrate his first coming with an eye towards his coming again to fulfill all things, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.